Welcome to Rough Magic Performance Company's podcast, where women's stories take center stage. Season 1, The Macbeth Project. The Macbeth Project is made possible in part by our donors and the generosity of Inclusion Action, an organization that brings people together at the intersection of arts, business, and community to explore what it takes to advance equity and make a future that works for all, not some. To learn more about current projects and upcoming events, visit inclusionaction.com. Hi, I'm Catherine Justice, and I'm the co-artistic director for Rough Magic Performance Company. And in the Macbeth Project, I wrote the adaptation and played Lady Macbeth and one of the witches. Hi, I'm Elaine Hopkins, the other co-artistic director of Rough Magic Performance Company. For the adaptation of the Macbeth Project, I played the role of Banquo and the Doctor and Lady Macduff. Hi, I'm Tracy Maloney, and these two amazing women asked me to direct the Macbeth Project, so that is what I did. I kind of thought we could just have a quick dialogue uh, or three-person talk about our process and the project. Catherine, I'll start with you. Why, uh, why this play? And you want to talk a little bit about the selection and what you did with it? Sure. So this play has been on my mind for for a long time, but particularly over the past couple of years, I remember reading a review of a production of it that in the New York Times, where they talked about um, in that production, having this idea of Lady Macbeth's state of mind being fueled by kind of a severe postpartum psychosis from having a bunch of miscarriages. And at the time that I read that was right after the birth of my um, last child, who's now two. And at the time, I was going through a pretty intense postpartum depression. And so it just sort of set me into thinking about the role in a new way and thinking about the play in a new context. I've always, I'm kind of drawn towards the Shakespeare plays that are particularly misogynistic, um, which is weird, but they're the one, there's, there's just a lot there. And I love doing these really misogynistic plays with all women because I feel like it just sheds a new light on the language. And this play is such a great example of referring to women as weak and men as powerful. But when you have all women reading those statements, it just lands and hits in an, in a different way. And it empowers women in a different way to kind of be the narrators of that story. So those were sort of the two things that brought me personally to the project. And then the more the more I looked into it and that idea of sort of this um, postpartum psychosis for Lady M, when I started writing the adaptation and doing it, I realized that she was not the only one, that Macbeth himself was also incredibly traumatized by his inability to have a child and that the two of them together were kind of so, so close as a couple and so tight together that it, it made me feel like they were that they were both drawn into the state. And of course, Macbeth has the added layer of just having come from war. So he's got that trauma kind of on top of his psyche as well. That sort of makes them just fodder for the witches. And the idea of making it into a podcast really came from the public theater's podcast that they did of Richard II and how inspired I was by by that project. So those were the things that kind of initially drew me to it. But I always like to do different stuff with Shakespeare. I like to mess with it because you can. And so along with that was this thought of adding in the Sylvia Plath poem of um, Parliament Hill Field. 
Fields, which is a poem about um, a miscarriage. But I really liked a lot of the language in the poem was very witchy and kind of spooky and creepy and reminded me of the play a lot. Really fascinating what you did with that and the way you kind of wove it throughout the adaptation too and had it repeat and echo. I think is really cool. Elaine, what uh, what drew you to this play? And also, would you talk a little bit about what Rough Magic does and what the two of you do with the company? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I'll start with the, the latter. The mission of Rough Magic Performance Company is to put women's stories at the center of the play and the center of productions and to really focus on, as Catherine was saying, you know, what the world sounds like and seems like from the eyes of women and through their voices, really centering their experience. And it's been fantastic to do, this is our, oh goodness, this would be the fourth Shakespeare adaptation that we've worked on together. And Shakespeare's really marvelous, exactly in the way that Catherine was talking about. You get these interpersonal relationships that change dramatically when you have all women uh, voicing the roles and inhabiting them. So this fit really perfectly within our, our mission and our passion. And as many, many other theater companies and theater artists right now, we're really just, we've been looking around and thinking, what can we do? How can we exist when we can't be on stage performing for people? And so that's why the, the brilliance of the public theater production was, was really such an inspiration. And it was, it was great to do this project. It was really, it was really amazing. I had a, a thought at one point that, there is nothing like the community of women who are all committed to telling their stories and being in the room together. And I was so grateful that all of the artists signed on with us, including you, Tracy. And so I would, I would turn it right back to you and say, what drew you to doing this project with us? Well, basically because you asked. I just think the, the world of your company and both of you as actors and the way you run the company and the mission of the company. So as soon as I was asked, I was just thrilled. And I haven't directed a whole lot, but I've done a little bit of it. So I was really excited to flex those muscles and try that out a little bit with this group of amazing people. So, and it was a really, really, like you were saying, a really amazing process because it was a little truncated because you know, we have to do this in a certain amount of time and Zoom and all of that. But um, I felt like everyone just kind of jumped right in and knocked it out of the park. I mean, we had some amazing discussions. We had some really quick kind of intense rehearsals and digging into the text. Um, and I found that one thing we talked about while working on it is with all women doing it, a lot of the dynamics of the relationships were really kind of cracked open in a way, or you heard things differently, or I don't want to make broad generalizations about things, but there was uh, more of like a nuance to some of the relationships that maybe somehow are usually played one way and, and we could hear different things. So I thought it was a really amazing project. Plus everyone was such a trooper about it. People made studios in their closets under blankets, trying to keep cats out and, and tend to kids and also do this project, which I think is a very feminine, strong, amazing thing too. So there, there was just a lot of really great things about working on this with, with the two of you and everyone else as well. And I, I don't want to give like Macbeth a bad name saying it's a misogynistic play because it's, it's not. I mean, it has, it just has that element to it, but it also flips it of being like, well, really the most powerful characters as far as who's wielding the power is the witches. 
I mean, they're the ones that I was telling my 10 year old son about the play a little bit because he was asking about it. And he was like, well, who are you? Are you like an evil queen? And I was like, yeah, you know, kind of. Um, but she's not all bad. <laughs> she's really sad um but then I was saying you know I'm also playing a witch and he was like oh does the witch die at the end I was like yeah no nope witches do fine (laughs) they just cast some they just cast some trouble and then go right back into the earth and they do okay one thing Tracy that I really enjoyed that you brought to the process was the the way you really tried to pull out um intimacy in our voices and one of the things that really um got us excited about you directing this for us is just because you're such um, an accomplished voice actress that you do so much voiceover work and that I knew that you would have kind of the ability to hear. And I wonder too, of you know, when all of us are over Zoom and rehearsing and talking together, but you were, you, you got to listen. Um, and so I'm just curious as far as like that director's ear of what you, what you were thinking or like how you were pulling out those intimate moments? Oh yeah, that's a great question. It was really, really cool to kind of almost in some senses approach the, the sonic landscape of the text as maybe the opposite of what we would do on stage where it'd be like, be louder or like worried about hearing everything and just having the room to kind of go, oh, let's kind of lean in really quiet and you two can be having this quiet thing and and let's see what the quality of that does where you don't need to be projecting to a large room and I feel like a lot of moments were clarified by the way we all kind of talked about the the volume you know that you could kind of go oh they're over in the corner over there or like you know they're yelling to someone outside the room or these two lady and Macbeth are stepping aside and having a conversation but we can tell people could be hearing it so they're trying to be quiet so that aspect I would just close my eyes and listen and I could hear so many things that you guys were doing and to to bring it out and kind of go let's go further in that let's like really take that down or like let's really you know was like a really different kind of thing that um, I thought was thrilling when I was listening to it happening. It just kind of gets right in your heart of uh, the intimacy of some of the moments that maybe would not be as uh, powerful on stage because of the quietness. Yeah. And then it was weird to be like finding that level of intimacy, but without physical presence of the other people in the room was just, you know, so much of an actor's job, I feel like is imagination is this world you create in your head and this reality that you create in your head. And the deeper you get into your imagination, oftentimes the richer the experience as an artist is and the richer the hopefully the performance and the experience for the audience is. But when you literally are just like in your closet or under a blanket, there's no audience, there's no other actors physically near you you can see them a little on the screen and you can hear them but it is such a different way of performing but it's actually kind of freeing I found I don't know what your experience with 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 it was Elaine but that that ability to just kind of let go and be that get that intimate and that open because no one was really watching I was left with two major things about having worked on this project. And the first was absolutely that, that it was an entirely different relationship with a character, with a text, and with the other actors than I had ever experienced before. And it was wonderful. I was amazed at how little I missed a stage 
in a way, because of what we were able to create, exactly the intimacy that you were talking about cultivating, Tracy, because we had that even with Zoom and trying to work out our recording equipment and all of that. So that was was my my big, huge takeaway. And my other one is the complete opposite, which now I am absolutely determined that this group of women has to produce Macbeth with us on stage at some point in time when we can perform for other people again. So <laughs> I totally, totally second that. I cannot wait to, uh, you know, see what happens with this project, because I think for sure it has some legs with with this group of people. Um, it would be really cool to, to try to do it another way now, you know, and have some time and then see where our thoughts are. And um, yeah, that could be really cool. It's just, it was such an honor to do this project with you guys. And, you know, so, so great, Tracy, to have you, have you as our fearless leader. It was really wonderful. And I hope that there's, that there's more life to either this project or another one and that theater will, will continue in some way, shape or form in our future. On this bald hill, the new year hones its edge, faceless and pale as China. The round sky goes on, minding its business. Your absence is inconspicuous. Nobody can tell what I lack. Now silence after silence offers itself. The wind stops my breath like a bandage. Southward over Kentish town an ashen smudge swaddles roof and tree. It could be a snowfield or a cloud bank. I suppose it's pointless to think of you at all. Already your dull grip lets go. The tumulus, even at noon, guards its black shadow. Ghost of a leaf, ghost of a bird. I circle the riven trees, these faithful dark-bowed cypresses. Brood, rooted in their heaped losses. Your cry fades like the cry of a gnat. I lose sight of you on your blind journey. While the heath grass glitters and the spindling rivulets unspool and spin themselves, my mind runs with them. My mind runs with them. Darkness. A forest. Three witches appear. When shall we three meet again? In thunder, lightning, or in rain? When the hurly-burly's done, when the battle's lost and won. That will be ere the set of the sun. Where the place? Upon the heath. There to meet with Macbeth. Fair as foul and foul as fair, hover through the fog and filthy air. A drum, a drum, Macbeth doth come. The weird sisters, hand in hand, posters of the sea and land. Thus do go about, about, thrice to thine and thrice to mine. And thrice again to make up nine. 
Two men walk into the glen, haggard and war-torn. Lord Macbeth, Thane of Gloms, and his companion, Lord Banquo. They have come straight from a battle defeating a rebellion and protecting the throne for Duncan, the King of Scotland. So foul and fair a day I have not seen. What are these? So withered and so wild in their attire that look not like the inhabitants of the earth and yet are on it. Speak, if you can. What are you? All hail, Macbeth. Hail to thee, Thane of Gloms. All hail, Macbeth. Hail to thee, Thane of Cawdor. All hail, Macbeth, that shalt be king hereafter. Good sir, why do you start and seem to fear things that do sound so fair? In the name of truth, are you fantastical, or that indeed which outwardly you show? To me you speak not. If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me, who neither beg nor fear your favors nor your hate. Hail! 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 Lesser than Macbeth and greater. Not so happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get kings, though thou be none. So all hail Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo and Macbeth, all hail. Stay, you imperfect speakers. Tell me more. By Sinnoh's death I know I am Thane of Gloms. But how of Cawdor? The thane of Cawdor lives, a prosperous gentleman, and to be king stands not within the prospect of belief, no more than to be Cawdor. Say from whence you owe this strange intelligence, or why upon this blasted heath you stop our way with such prophetic greeting. Speak, I charge you. The witches vanish. The earth hath bubbles, as the water has, and these are of them. Whither are they vanished? Into the air and what seemed corporal melted as breath into the wind. But they had stayed. Were such things here as we do speak about? Or have we eaten on the insane root that takes the reason prisoner? (laughs) Your children shall be kings. (laughs) You shall be king. (laughs) And Thane of Cawdor, too, (laughs) when did not so? To the selfsame tune and words. Hail, Macbeth! Hail! Lord Ross, another member of King Duncan's court, rides in. Who's here? The king hath Happily received, Macbeth, the news of thy success, and when he reads thy personal venture in the rebels' fight, his wonders and his praises do contend which should be thine or his. And for an earnest of a great honor he bade me from him call thee Thane of Cawdor, in which addition hail, most worthy Thane, for it is thine. What? Can the devil speak true? The Thane of Cawdor lives. Why do you dress me in borrowed robes? Who was the Thane lives yet, but under heavy judgment bears that life which he deserves to lose. Do you not hope your children shall be kings? 
when those that gave the thane of Cawdor to me promised no less to them. That, trusted home, might yet enkindle you unto the crown, besides the thane of Cawdor. But tis strange, and oftentimes, to win us to our harm, the instruments of darkness tell us truths. Macbeth wanders off apace from the others. This supernatural soliciting cannot be ill, cannot be good. If ill, why hath it given me earnest of success commencing in a truth? I am Thane of Cawdor. If good, why do I yield to that suggestion whose horrid image doth unfix my hair and make my seated heart knock in my ribs against the use of nature? Present fears are less than horrible imaginings. If chance will have me king, why chance may crown me without my stir. Come what come may. Lord Macbeth quickly composes a letter to send to his wife, informing her of these twists of fate. He hands the letter to Lord Ross, asking him to ride ahead and deliver the letter to her at his castle in Inverness. Worthy Macbeth, we stay upon your leisure. Give me your favor. <laughs> My dull brain was wrought with things forgotten. Think upon what hath chanced, and at more time, the interim having waited, let us speak our free hearts each to other. Very gladly. King Duncan rides in with his son, Prince Malcolm. Oh, worthiest cousin! The sin of my ingratitude even now was heavy on me. Thou art so far before that swiftest wing of recompense is slow to overtake thee. Would thou hast less deserved that the proportion both of thanks and payment might have been mine. Only I have left to say, more is thy due than more than all can pay. The service and the loyalty I owe, in doing it, pays itself. Welcome hither. I have begun to plant thee and will labor to make thee full of growing. Noble Banquo, thou hast no less deserved, nor must be known no less to have done so. Let me enfold thee and hold thee to my heart. There, if I grow, the harvest is your own. Son, kinsmen, thanes, and you whose places are the nearest, know we will establish our estate upon our eldest Malcolm, whom we name hereafter the Prince of Cumberland. From hence to Inverness, and bind us further to you. I'll be myself the harbinger, and make joyful the hearing of my wife with your approach. So humbly take my leave. My worthy Cawdor. The Prince of Cumberland? That is a step on which I must fall down, or else or leap, for in my way it lies. Stars, hide your fires. Let not light see my black and deep desires. Macbeth's Castle Lady Macbeth, recovering from her most recent stillbirth, reads a letter from her husband describing his encounter with the witches. They met me in the day of successes, and I have learned by the perfectest report... They have more in them than mortal knowledge. When I burned in desire to question them further, they made themselves air, into which they vanished. Whilst I stood wrapped in the wonder of it came missives from the king, who all hailed me Thane 
of Cawdor, by which title before these weird sisters saluted me and referred me to the coming on of time with hail king that shall be. This have I thought good to deliver thee, my dearest partner of greatness, that thou mightst not lose the dues of rejoicing by being ignorant of what greatness is promised thee. Lay it to thy heart and farewell. Gloms thou art, and Cawdor, and shalt be what thou art promised. Yet I do fear thy nature. It is too full of the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. Thou wouldst be great, art not without ambition, but without the illness should attend it. Hie thee hither, that I may pour my spirits into thine ear, and chastise with the valour of my tongue all that impedes thee from the golden round, which fate and metaphysical aid doth seem to have thee crowned withal. A messenger runs in. What is your tidings? The king comes here tonight. Thou art mad to say it. Is not thy master with him, who, were it so, would have informed for preparation? So please you, it's true. Our thane is coming. He brings great news. The raven himself is hoarse, that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. Come, you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts. Unsex me here, and fill me from the crown to the toe top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood. Stop up the access and passage to remorse, that no compunctious visitings of nature shake my fell purpose, nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall, you murthering ministers, wherever in your sightless substance you wait on nature's mischief. Come, thick night, and pall thee in the dunnest smoke of hell that my keen knife see not the wound it makes, nor heaven peep through the blanket of the dark to cry, hold, hold. Macbeth strides into the room, embracing his wife after his long absence from the war. Great gloms, worthy Cawdor, greater than both by the all-hail hereafter. Thy letters have transported me beyond this ignorant present, and I feel now the future in the instant. My dearest love, Duncan comes here tonight. And when goes hence? Tomorrow, as he purposes. Oh, never shall sun that morrow see. Your face, my thane, is a book where men may read strange matters. To beguile the time, look like the time. Bear welcome in your eye, your hand, your tongue. Look like the innocent flower. Be the serpent under it. He that's coming must be provided for, and you shall put this night's great business into my dispatch, which shall, to all our nights and days to come, give solemn sovereign sway and masterdom. We will speak further. Only look up clear. To alter favor ever is to fear. Leave all the rest to me. King Duncan, his son Prince Malcolm, and Lord Banquo and his son Fleance all arrive at Macbeth's castle, 
Lady Macbeth is there to greet them at the door. This castle hath a pleasant seat. The air nimbly and sweetly recommends itself unto our gentle senses. See, see, our honored hostess! The love that follows us sometime is our trouble, which still we thank as love. All our service, in every point twice done and then done double, were poor and single business to contend against those honors deep and broad wherewith your majesty loads our house. Where's the thane of Cawdor? We coursed him at the heels and had a purpose to be his purveyor, but he rides well, and his great love, sharp as his spur, hath helped him to his home before us. Fair and noble hostess, we are your guests tonight. Give me your hand, conduct me to mine host. We love him highly and shall continue our graces towards him. By your leave, hostess. Macbeth has left the king's dinner, contemplating the deeds to come. If it were done when tis done, then twere well it were done quickly. If the assassination could trammel up the consequence and catch with his success, that but this blow might be the be-all and the end-all here. But here upon this bank and shoal of time we jump the life to come. But... In these cases, we still have judgment here. This even-handed justice commends the ingredients of our poisoned chalice to our own lips. He's here in double trust. First, as I am his kinsman and his subject, strong both against the deed. Then, as his host, who should against his murderer shut the door, not bear the knife myself. Besides... This Duncan hath borne his faculties so meek, hath been so clear in his great office, that his virtues will plead like angels, trumpet-tongued against the deep damnation of his taking off, and pity like a naked newborn babe striding the blast, or heaven's cherubim horsed upon the sightless couriers of the air, shall blow the horrid deed in every eye that tears shall drown the wind." I have no spur to prick the sides of my intent, but only vaulting ambition, which o'erleaps itself and falls on the other. How now? What news? He has almost supped. Why have you left the chamber? Hath he asked for me? No, you not. He has. We will proceed no further in this business. He hath honored me of late and I have bought golden opinions from all sorts of people, which would be worn now in their newest gloss, not cast aside so soon. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Hath it slept since and wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely? From this time, such I account thy love. Art thou afeard to be the same in thine own act and valor as thou art in desire? Wouldst thou have had that which thou esteemest the ornament of life, and live a coward in thine own esteem, letting I dare not wait upon I would, like the poor cat in the adage? Prithee peace. I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. What beast was it then that made you break this enterprise to me? When you durst do it, then you were a man. And to be more than what you were, 
You would be so much more the man. I have given suck, and know how tender it is to love the babe that milks me. I would, while it was smiling in my face, have plucked my nipple from his boneless gums and dashed the brains out had I so sworn as you have done to this. If we should fail... We fail? But screw your courage to the sticking place and we'll not fail! When Duncan is asleep, whereto the rather shall his day's hard journey soundly invite him, his two chamberlains, with wine and wassail, so convince that memory the warder of the brain shall be a fume. When, in swinish sleep, their drenched nature lies as in a death, what cannot you and I perform upon the unguarded Duncan? What not put upon his spongy officers who shall bear the guilt of our great quill? Bring forth men, children only, where thy undaunted metal should compose nothing but males. Will it not be received, when we have marked with blood those sleepy two of his own chamber and used their daggers, that they have done it? Who dares receive it other, as we shall make our griefs and clamor roar upon his death? I am settled, and bend up each corporal agent to this terrible feat. Away and mock the time with fairest show. False face must hide what the false heart doth know. Night falls on the castle. Lord Banquo, unable to sleep, wanders the halls with his son, Fleance. How goes the night, boy? The moon is down. I have not heard the clock. And she goes down at twelve. I take it tis later, sir. Hold. Take my sword. A heavy summons lies like lead upon me, and yet I would not sleep. Give me my sword. Who's there? A friend. What? Sir, not yet at rest. The king's abed. I dreamt last night of the three weird sisters... To you, they have showed some truth. I think not of them. Yet, when we can retreat an hour to serve, we would spend it in some words upon that business, if you would grant the time. At your kindest pleasure. Good. Repose the while. Thanks, sir. The like to you. As Lord Banquo and Fleance exit, Macbeth stares into space as if seeing something in the air only visible to him. Is this a dagger, which I see before me, the handle toward my hand? Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Art thou not, fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight? Or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation proceeding from the heat-oppressed brain? Mine eyes are made the fools of the other senses, or else worth all the rest. I see thee still, and on thy blade and dudgeon gouts of blood which was not so before. There's no such thing. It is the bloody business from which informs thus to mine eyes. Now o'er the one-half-world nature seems dead, and wicked dreams abuse the curtained sleep. 
Witchcraft celebrates pale Hecate's offerings, and withered murder moves like a ghost. Ghost of a leaf, ghost of a bird. Thou sure and firm, said Earth, hear not my steps, which way they walk. For fear thy very stones prate of my whereabout, and take the present horror from the time which now suits with it. Whilst I threat he lives, words to the heat of deeds too cold breath gives. I go, and it is done. The bell invites me. Hear it not, Duncan, for it is a nail that summons thee to heaven or to hell. Lord Macbeth enters the king's chamber. Lady Macbeth creeps into the castle corridor. She has ensured that the guards watching over King Duncan are passed out drunk, and now she awaits news of her husband's deeds. That which hath made them drunk hath made me bold. What hath quenched them hath given me fire. Hark! Peace. It was the owl that shrieked. The fatal bellman, which gives the sternest good night. He is about it. The doors are open, and the surfeited grooms do mock their charge with snores. I have drugged their possets, that death and nature do contend about them whether they live or die. Who's there? What ho? Alack, I am afraid they have awakened, and tis not done. The attempt and not the deed confounds us. Hark! I laid their daggers ready. He could not miss them. Had he not resembled my father as he slept, I'd have done it. Macbeth returns, holding two bloody daggers. My husband? I have done the deed. Didst thou... Didst thou not hear a noise? I heard the owl scream and the crickets cry. Did not you speak? When? Now. As I descended? Aye. Hark. Who lies in the second chamber? Malcolm. This is a sorry sight. A foolish thought to say a sorry sight. There's one did laugh and sleep, and one cried murder, that they did wake each other. I stood and heard them, but they did say their prayers and addressed them again to sleep. One cried, God bless us, and amen the other, as they had seen me with these hangmen's hands, listening their fear. I could not say amen when they did say God bless us. Consider it not so deeply. But wherefore could I not pronounce amen? I had most need of blessing, and amen stuck in my throat. These deeds must not be thought of after these ways, so it will make us mad. Methought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more. Macbeth does murder sleep. The innocent sleep, sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care, the death of each day's life, sore labor's bath, balm of hurt minds, great nature's second course, chief nourisher in life's feast. What do you mean? Still it cried sleep no more to all the house. Gloms hath murdered sleep, and therefore Cawdor shall sleep no more. Macbeth shall sleep no more. Who was it that thus cried? My worthy Thane, you do unbend your noble strength to think so brain-sickly of things. 
go get some water and wash this filthy witness from your head. Why did you bring these daggers from the place? They must lie there. Go carry them and smear the sleepy grooms with blood. I'll go no more. I am afraid to think what I have done. Look on again, I dare not. Infirm of purpose, give me the daggers. The sleeping and the dead are but as pictures. Tis the eye of childhood that fears a painted devil. If he do bleed, I'll gild the faces of the grooms withal, for it must seem their guilt. Lady Macbeth rushes to the king's chamber with the daggers. Whence is that knocking? How is it with me when every noise appalls me? What hands are here? Ah, they pluck out mine eyes. Will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hand? No, this my hand will rather the multitudinous seas incarnadine, making the green one red. Lady Macbeth returns. My hands are of your color, but I shame to wear a heart so white. I hear a knocking. At the south entry, retire we to our chamber. A little water clears us of this deed. How easy is it then? Your constancy hath left you unattended. Hark, more knocking. Get on your nightgown, lest occasion call us and show us to be watchers. Be not lost so poorly in your thoughts. To know my deed, twere best not know myself. Wake, Duncan, with thy knocking. I would thou couldst. As the sun rises on the morning, Lord Macbeth, hands cleaned and now dressed in his nightshirt, opens the castle door to Lords Macduff and Ross, who have been knocking for the last half hour. Good morrow, noble sir. Good morrow, both. Is the king stirring, worthy fame? Not yet. He did command me to call timely on him. I have almost slipped the hour. I'll bring you to him. I know this is a joyful trouble to you, but yet tis one. The labor we delight in physics, pain. This is the door. I'll make so bold to call, for tis my limited service. Lord Macduff exits to go wake the king. Goes the king hence today? He does. He did appoint so. The night has been unruly. Where we lay, our chimneys were blown down, and, as they say, lamentings heard in the air, strange screams of death and prophesying. The wind stops my breath like a bandage. <laughs> Twas a rough night. My young remembrance cannot parallel a fellow to it. Oh, horror! 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 Tongue! Nor heart cannot conceive nor name thee. What's the matter? Confusion now hath made his masterpiece. Most sacrilegious murder hath broke ope the Lord's anointed temple and stole thence the life all the building. What is you say? The life? Mean you his majesty? Approach the chamber and destroy your sight with a new gorgon. Do not bid me speak, see, and then speak yourselves. Ring the alarm bell, murder and treason! Lady Macbeth runs in. 
What's the business that such a hideous trumpet calls to parlay the sleepers of the house? Speak, speak! Oh, gentle lady, tis not for you to hear what I can speak. The repetition in a woman's ear would murder as it fell. Lord Banquo runs in. Oh, Banquo, Banquo, our royal masters, murdered. Woe, alas, what, in our house? Dear Duff, I prithee, contradict thyself and say it is not so. Macbeth and Ross come back into the room. Had I but died an hour before this chance, I had lived a blessed time. For from this instant there's nothing serious in mortality. All is but toys. Renown and grace is dead. The wine of life is drawn. Enter the king's son, Prince Malcolm. What is amiss? You are, and do not know it. The spring, the head, the fountain of your blood is stopped. The very source of it is stopped. Your royal fathers. Murdered. Oh. By whom? Those of his chamber, as it seemed, had done it. Their hands and faces were all badged with blood. So were their daggers, which, unwiped, we found upon their pillows. They stared and were distracted. No man's life was to be trusted with them. Oh, yet I do repent me of my fury that I did kill them. Wherefore did you so? Help me hence, ho! Uh, look to the lady. Why do I hold my tongue? That most may claim this argument for my own? I'll away. My tears are not yet brewed. Oh! Uh, look to the lady. Lady Macbeth is assisted to leave. And when we have our naked frailties hid that suffer in exposure, let us meet and question this most bloody piece of work to know it further. Fears and scruples shake us. In the great hand of God I stand, and thence against the undivulged pretense I fight of treasonous malice. And so do I. Let's briefly put on manly readiness and meet in the hall together. Well contented. All but Prince Malcolm leave the room. What will I do? I'll not consort with them. To show an unfelt sorrow is an office which the false man doth easy. All to England. There's daggers in men's smiles. The near in blood, the nearer bloody. This murderous shaft that's shot hath not yet lighted, and my safest way is to avoid the aim. There's warrant in that theft which steals itself when there's no mercy left. Having fled the castle, Prince Malcolm is soon suspected as orchestrating the murder of his father. Later that day, Lord Macbeth is crowned. Moments after King Macbeth's coronation, Lord Banquo wanders the castle. Thou hast it now. King, Cotter, Gloms, all as the weird women promised. And I fear thou playedst most foully for it. Yet it was said but that myself should be the root and father of many kings. If there come truth from them, may they not be my oracles as well, and set me up in hope? But hush, no more. King and Queen Macbeth walk into the room. Here's our chief guest. If he had been forgotten, it had been as a gap in our great feast, and all thing unbecoming. 
Tonight we hold a solemn supper, sir, and I'll request your presence. Let your highness command upon me, to the which my duties are with a most indissoluble tie forever knit. Ride you this afternoon? Aye, my good lord. We should have else desired your good advice in this day's council, but we'll take tomorrow. We hear our bloody cousin is bestowed in England, not confessing his cruel patricide, filling his hearers with strange invention. But of that tomorrow. Hie you to horse. Adieu. Goes Fleance with you? Aye, my good lord. Our time does call upon his. Let every man be master of his time till seven at night. To make society the sweeter welcome, we will keep ourselves till supper-time alone. Well, then, God be with you. Lord Banquo leaves. Come on, gentle, my lord. Sleek o'er your rugged looks. Be bright and jovial among your guests tonight. So shall I, love. And so I pray be you. Let your remembrance apply to Banquo. Present him eminence, both with eye and tongue. Unsafe the while that we must lave our honors in these flattering streams and make our faces wizards of our hearts, disguising what they are. You must leave this. Oh, full of scorpions is my mind, dear wife. Thou knowest that Banquo and his fleance lives. But in them nature's copies not eterne. To be thus is nothing but to be safely thus. There is none but he whose being I do fear, and under him my genius is rebuked. As it is said, Mark Antony's was by Caesar. He chid the sisters when they first put the name of king upon me and bade them speak to him. Then, prophet-like, they hailed him father to a line of kings. Upon your head they placed a fruitless crown and put a barren scepter in your grip, thence to be wrenched with an unlineal hand, no son of ours succeeding. There's comfort yet. They are assailable. Then be thou jocund. Ere the bath hath flown his cloistered flight, there shall be done a deed of dreadful note. What's to be done? Be innocent of the knowledge, dearest Chuck, till thou applaud the deed. Come, sealing night, scarf up the tender eye of pitiful day, and with thy bloody and invisible hand cancel and tear to pieces that great bond which keeps me pale. Faceless and pale as China. Now marvelous that my words, but hold thee still. Things bad begun make strong themselves by ill. So prithee go with me. A royal banquet has been prepared. King and Queen Macbeth, Lord Ross, and other attendants all enter the dining hall. You know your own degree. Sit down. At first and last, the hearty welcome. Thanks to your majesty. Ourself will mingle with society and play the humble host. Our hostess keeps her state, but in best time we will require her welcome. Pronounce it for me, sir, to all our friends, for my heart speaks they are welcome. See, they encounter thee with their heart's thanks. Both sides are even. Here, I'll sit in the mist. Be large in mirth, anon we'll drink a measure the table round. A man cautiously enters and stands at the door. King Macbeth approaches him. There's blood upon thy face. Tis Banquo's then. Tis better thee without than he within. Is he dispatched? My lord, his throat is cut. That I did for him. Thou art the best of the cutthroats. Yet he's good that did the like for Fleance. 
My royal sir, Fleance escaped. And comes my fit again. I had else been perfect, but now I am cabined, cribbed, confined, bound into saucy doubts and fears. But Banquo's safe. Aye, my lord. Safe in a ditch he bides with twenty trenched gashes on the head. Thanks for that. There the grown serpent lies. The worm that's fled hath nature that in time will venom breed. Get thee gone. Tomorrow we'll hear ourselves again. The murderer exits. My royal lord, you do not give the cheer. (laughs) Sweet remembrancer. The ghost of Banquo appears. Unseen to all, he silently sits in Macbeth's place. Ghost of a leaf, ghost of a bird. Good digestion, weight on appetite, and health on both. May it please your highness sit? Here had we now our country's honor roofed, where the graced person of our Banquo present, who may I rather challenge for unkindness than pity for mischance. His absence, sir, lays blame upon his promise. Your absence is inconspicuous. Nobody can tell what I lack. Please, your highness, to grace us with your royal company. The table's full. Here is a place reserved, sir. Where? Here, my good lord. King Macbeth now sees the ghost of his murdered friend. The ghost is visible only to him. I lose sight of you on your blind journey. Which of you have done this? What is it that moves your highness? Thou canst not say I did it. Never shake thy gory locks at me. (laughs) Gentlemen, rise. His highness is not well. Sit, worthy friends. My lord is often thus and hath been from his youth. Pray you keep seat. The fit is momentary. Upon a thought he will again be well. If much you note him, you shall offend him and exceed his passion. Feed and regard him not. The queen draws King Macbeth aside. Are you a man? Aye, and a bold one that dare look on that which might appall the devil. Oh, proper stuff. This is the very painting of your fear. This is the air-drawn dagger which you said led you to Duncan. Oh, these flaws and starts, imposters to true fear, would well become a woman's story at a winter fire authorized by her granddam. Shame itself. Why do you make such faces? When all's done, you look but on a stool. Privy, see there. Behold, look. The ghost has vanished. What? Quite unmanned in folly? If I stand here, I saw him. Fie for shame! The time has been that when the brains were out, the man would die, and there an end. But now they rise again with twenty mortal murders on their grounds and push us from our stools. This is more strange than such a murder is. My worthy lord, your noble friends do lack you. Ah, I do forget. Do not amuse at me, my most worthy friends. I have a strange infirmity, which is nothing to those that know me. Come, love and health to all. Then I'll sit down. Give me some wine. Feel full. I drink to the general joy of the whole table and to our dear friend Banquo, whom we miss. Would he were here. The ghost of Lord Banquo reappears. I suppose it's pointless to think of you at all. Avaunt! 
out and quit my sight. Let the earth hide thee. Think of this, good peers, but as a thing of custom. Tis no other, only it spoils the pleasure of the time. Hence, horrible shadow. Unreal mockery. Hence! The ghost vanishes again. Why, so, being gone, I am a man again. Pray you, sit still. You have displaced the mirth, broke the good meeting with most admired disorder. Can such things be, and overcome us like a summer's cloud, without our special wonder? You make me strange even to the disposition that I owe, and now I think you can behold such sights and keep the natural ruby of your cheeks when mine is blanched with fear. What sights, my lord? I pray you speak not. He grows worse and worse. Questions enrage him. At once, good night. Stand not upon the order of your going, but go at once. Good night, and... Better health attend his majesty. A kind good night to all. Lord Ross and others retire. The king and queen are alone. It will have blood, they say. Blood will have blood. I will tomorrow to the weird sisters. More shall they speak, for now I am bent to know by the worst means the worst. I am in blood stepped in so far that, should I wade no more, returning were as tedious as go o'er. Strange things I have in head that will to hand, which must be acted ere they may be scanned. You lack the season of all natures. Sleep. Come, will to sleep. My strange and self-abuse is the initiate fear that wants hard use. We are yet but young, indeed. The Macbeth Project is brought to you by Rough Magic Performance Company, a professional theater company dedicated to supporting women artists and telling women's stories. The Macbeth Project, direction by Tracy Maloney. Sound design and engineering by Taj Ruler. Adapted from the Shakespeare by Catherine Justice, with excerpts from Parliament Hill Fields by Sylvia Plath. The cast of The Macbeth Project includes Amy Bryant, Ashanti Sakina Ford, Elaine Hopkins, Catherine Justice, Katie Kaufman, and Taj Ruler. Full credits are available in the show notes and on our website. If you enjoyed The Macbeth Project, please consider making a donation to Rough Magic in support of our mission of bringing women's stories center stage. Tax-deductible contributions can be made at www.roughmagicperformance.org. Please consider writing a review or giving us a five-star rating to help us spread the word about the Rough Magic podcast. The Macbeth Project is dedicated to the memory and creative, generous spirit of James Vichulik.